Welcome to the Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress come from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. In fact, we've even toyed with the the story to change the pod's name to Masters of Change, but that never happened, obviously. Welcome to this (laughs) week's pod, and obviously, always welcome to my co-host and co-pilot, Eric. How are you doing, my friend? How's it, brother? I'm well. How are you, man? Yeah, very, very good. Go back to Dubai last night, first day back in Dubai. It's been flooding here for four days. But somehow it started shining today and I landed. So, I'm, I mean, there's no correlation, but just putting it out there, you know? <laughs> just putting it out there. Yeah. I bring the sunshine. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. How's, uh, how's the cop start? Yeah, it's been good. Um, lots of things happening, looking at cars, working on keynotes, um, training Atlassian. Uh, he's yes. shaping up so well, little pup. Yes. Um, we are, he's going to puppy school every Thursday. And yes. it's so cute, man. Like we're doing all these different um, exercises with him and boundary testing and getting his drive up. And But he's like, he's the sweetest boy. So it's so funny because he's a Malinois, yes. which is this like like known, very hyper drive pup, like kind of dog. Yes. Um, but he just has like the most sweetest temperament. He just wants to like cuddle with you and sit with you. And yes. so, yeah, lots of things happening. Um, and for you? Yeah, all good. Um, I'm on my way to NASA next week um, and opening up Vision 2040, which I'm very excited about. And obviously, the big news for me was the surprise to see Dr. Joe Dispenza on an hour after me on the same agenda, yeah, on the same incredible. stage, which was just an incredible thing. In fact, I was, I was trying to, not trying to, but I was, I was thinking about like not spending that much time at the NASA event and doing other things because I've got other commitments and the minute I saw Dr. Joe's name on there, I was like, okay, I'm just going to chill here. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to bloom. I'm going to like spend time with those people backstage and, and see who they are. Some really impressive people. So yeah, that's happening. And then um, I'm going for the first time to Philippines, Indonesia, and Australia uh, after that, the following week. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of uh, exciting new cities, new places to explore, new people to see. So yeah, an exciting February um, ahead of us uh, and March. Listen, something I don't want us to gloss over is, you know, we've been friends now for a while and I know um, the things you talk about and like the aspirations you have and the meditations you do. And I know at one point, um, one of your visualizations, meditations, mind videos was sharing a stage with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm. And like there's been some time lapse between that, right? And I, I wanted to quickly just like pause there before we get into today's episode, mm. which is that this was something that's like, it started in the mind. It was imagination and it's come to fruition. Yeah. But what has been the time lapse between that? Uh, three years. Like I put it out into the ether. Mm. The second, like Dr. Joe I went to or third was 2019, 2020. And I started playing around with the idea of sharing a stage with him. But I also at the same time put myself on stage with Simon Sinek as well, which happened already. And with Dr. Joe, you know, I Mm. had no idea because I always used to vision. I somehow used to think I'd come up on his stage when he was doing his seven weeks, like his seven day events. So awesome. And I never could see myself there because I was like, it doesn't, doesn't fit in how I would, I wouldn't be on his stage, but now by absolute surprise, he's sure. on the same day as me at this NASA event. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, it is, it is such a cool thing to think about, eh? Intentionality, action, allowance, and then I think here's the biggest part. Here's the biggest, biggest part. It has to be a total surprise. And the reason it has to be a total surprise, if it's not a total surprise, it's coming from a place of familiarity. You're asking for something that's way out or past your comfort zone or your past experiences. So if it's if it's not a delightful surprise, it's then it's 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 uh, it's not legit. I imagine you know it has to be totally coming from left field. And also just the the patience factor. That's actually such a big part of this for me. Is that we we often sit down and you know like especially when you're trying to I'll, I'll, let's use the word manifest. But even though I'm not I'm not really trying to to go that route, but I'm, like when we're trying to bring things into fruition we have this urgency that things have to happen on our timeline, happen as quickly as possible. And if they don't, we get despondent and discouraged. Um, but, you know, things also take time. And I think that's part of the surprise is when it eventually happens. And it's almost like you've put it out into the, into the world uh, and you kind of let go of it and you did your own thing. And by you doing the other things, it just comes back to you. Yeah, that's the thing is that I've just been at it, not thinking about it, forgot about mm. it. In fact, totally forgot about it and just was looking at the agenda. I mean, the, the preparation for this NASA event started, I don't know, last year, October, or even before that. And then what happened was the governments, the sure. American government mm. stopped, stopped funding the government. So they postponed the event. And I can't remember seeing Dr. Joe's name on that event. And so I forgot about it. And then they reissued the event and then they had a new agenda and I didn't bother even looking at the new agenda. I thought, ah, whatever. I'm, I know I'm opening. So I'll just like, and then I asked <laughs> my business manager, Shams, like, just send me the agenda. I just want to see who else is there and what else I'm doing. And there it was right in front of me. I was like, okay. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> thank you. So cool. <laughs> yeah. What a great story. You. What a great story. Talking about stories. And I want to kick off today. And we've been doing this new thing on the pod where we read articles and we comment about them. But I want us to think about what's happening here and how massive this incredible convergence that is happening right in front of our eyes is going to reshape storytelling, reality experiences, and our very understanding of what is real and what is not real, which is just a mind-blowing thing because Look, I mean, everything we do is about this reality we understand, right? And this reality we understand is governed by our five senses. But now you have obviously altered states. If you do magic mushrooms or if you do ayahuasca, what these do is they alter your state, meaning they change your frequency. You get access to other worlds. People call this tripping or whatever you want to call it. But you literally change vibrations and click into a different frequency. And that's from an ingestion of a plant or a drug or whatever it may be. But what's starting to happen now is that in our very sober minds, wide, wide awake, our accessibility to new worlds is, is right on our fingertips. And so let me read some of the article and then we can break it down and, and sort of unpack it. So this happened last week and the heading is Disney to take a 1.5 billion stake in Epic Games work with Fortnite Maker on new content. Just some key points. Disney is investing $1.5 billion for an equity stake in Epic Games in its biggest jump yet into the gaming world. The media giant will work with the Fortnite gaming studio on new games and a new entertainment universe. 
Disney has previously collaborated with Epic to bring characters from Marvel, Star Wars, Nightmare Before Christmas, Tron, and more to Fortnite. So they've been kind of doing this and edging on bringing movie stars into Fortnite. But what's going to happen now with this, this collab is we're about to burst open the, the convergence of gaming, movies, and TV, and phones. All of it is going to start becoming one. We won't know if we're playing a game, watching a movie, the character on there, is that character going to follow us throughout our experience in that world? So just bank that idea and then add spatial computing. Now, spatial computing, we all thought Apple was being too clever, calling it spatial computing and not AG or not augmented reality or virtual reality. But if you start to watch what people are doing with their um, visual, uh, uh, their mm. Apple Vision Dude, Pro, it, yeah, it, it is it mind-blowing. Mm. Have you watched some of the TikToks of what people are doing? They are, it is game-changing. It is game-changing. And I mean, I watched this one guy today. He, he sits on his toilet and in front of his toilet, he's got uh, pegged Twitter. So X. X is in front of his toilet. So every time he sits on his toilet, he's on X, right? But then he presses a button and he's on, not on his toilet now. Now he's in the <laughs> middle of a mountain range. So he's sitting on the yeah. middle of a mountain range with sound. The sound of the mountain range is just the whispering of the wind. <laughs> watching Twitter, is scrolling Twitter, he's on the toilet. Now, now, Take that idea, and, and, and for the listeners out there, if you haven't seen this, please go to YouTube or go to TikTok and just put in Vision Pro practical examples. There's somebody else I watched that he has, he watches a lot of sports, so he has two sports screens open, plus all the betting uh, screens, all next to each other in the one part of his house. Then he has the TV over there. Then he has Gordon Ramsay telling him how to cook as a screen pegged on top of his stove. Then he has... I mean, just keep going and just keep going and going and going. Now, take that concept of you being totally immersed in spatial computing. You're in another world. Now add Fortnite and Disney to it and now create characters and now extrapolate. This is, I got goosebumps. I actually got, I literally got goosebumps here. Because I just, the, 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 the depth and breadth of your experience <laughs> digitally I was telling my friend, I don't think I'll ever get off the toilet. Why would you get off the toilet? Like you're in the middle of a mountain, you're doing anything you want to do and you totally disappear from it. But let's take it one step further. Because if you think about analog computing, you have one and zero. Mm. Okay. One, zero, one, zero, one, 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 zero, one, one, zero. That's how the coding works, right? With quantum computing, what you have is you have one and zeros on all the time, which means that you have all the experiences all happening at the same time. Now, this is exactly how quantum science has been explained, is that in quantum science, there is no time. There's only the forever now. And you can experience whatever aspect of the forever now from the level of frequency or um, vibration that you're at. So it's a very different way of thinking about time and linearity because there is no linearity to time. It's multidimensional. And we're only waking up to this. And it's quite a big topic. But if you apply... AI's depth of understanding, of storytelling, combining it with everything I've just said, and let's just focus on the storytelling aspect of it. And the first time I saw this blew my mind was Khan Academy gives you this option to talk to a character called Khan Migo. So Khan Academy is this free educational system. And if you are studying World War II, or if you're studying the uprising in India, you can be studying about it and then 
ask Khan Migo to let you speak to Gandhi. And then Gandhi will come in and start having a conversation with you about his experience of the uprising of India and South Africa, whatever it may be. And then the finish, you finish with that, you've now got a one-on-one conversation with somebody that was there. And obviously they've taken all the information from him and created a conversational character out of it. But the depth of which you'll understand that experience because of Gandhi telling you, and now think about storytelling when it comes to Disney and Vision Pro. You'll be able to go and watch Lord of the Rings and you can stop and you can conversate with any which one of those characters Mm. in Lord of the Rings and watch the movie from their perspective. You'll be able to have POV of a movie from a character. Now, I remember the first time I saw this was Formula One. Formula One, you you could watch the Formula One from any car. Right, You could go from camera of watching the Formula One or actually going onto Lewis Hamilton's car and watching it from Lewis Hamilton. And we were like, oh my God, that's like what, however many cars are on Formula One, or 20, let's say. That's like, you can get 60 angles of the Formula One, one from each car and then another 40 from around the stadium. I mean, the depth of understanding of what's going on in Formula One totally changes. Now let's bring in this Lord of the Rings. You'll be able to have this incredibly immersive experience from Gandalf's version or from whichever other character's version and see it POV, point of view, from their perspective, have a pause on the movie, discuss some of the yeah, things yeah. with the movie with the person and then come back. You can, there's no one Unique movie anymore. experiences. There's yeah. no such thing as one movie with one plot. There's limitless plots and limitless outcomes. Jeez, this is, this convergence is just, I don't know, Vision Pro, Disney, and Fortnite together. Just just those three. Forget about Netflix and everybody else playing in this world with Meta and NVIDIA and all the other amazing e-games that are out there. Just combine all of them. Just think about what's going to happen over the next five years to our cinematic experience. And even further than that, our experience of reality and what is real and what isn't real. This is just mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. And, you know, I remember my very first experience with VR. And this was like Oculus, like, you know, first, second One. generation. Yeah. like Yeah. And I remember yeah. you put that on and for a while you, you're aware that you are like, in, you know, in VR. And then you almost forget about it. And back then it was so bad. You know, like it, they, you could see its graphics essentially. Yeah. Now when you look at the Apple Vision Pro, and what it's able to do is overlay things onto reality, but in such a way that it just feels like it's part of reality. Yeah. I like you actually have to experience that level of immersion to understand that when these forces combine, just how powerful that's going mm. to be. Mm. Um, and I really think people should just go watch Ready Player One. Like if yeah. you if you want to get an understanding of what this looks like, go watch Ready Player One. And it it starts giving you. I mean, because you haven't even mentioned that um, who did that technology. It's also Disney, where they have that tile yes. on the floor. Yes, and the you tile can on the walk floor. on it. That's it. But that's it. Yeah. So, so you're stationary essentially, but you are able to walk on this in different directions. Yes. Um, and I mean, so now, like now, it's even more interactive. Now you can walk in between characters and wildlife, and you you name it. You could be a suit. Think about, and then add Neuralink to that where you can get people who can't walk to walk, blind people can see, deaf people can hear. As a blind, handicapped person, why would you ever leave that world where you are 
a superhero and can move and I mean, no, this is just, I don't even know what to say about this. This is just, and, and, and let's just top it up. And the last piece I'll say about this world, because I'm watching it continuously, is Sam Altman raising, are you ready? $7 trillion to build chips. Come on, bro. Seven trillion dollars. I don't know which countries have got a to GDP of seven trillion dollars. How's this guy? Look, I'm not looking for one billion. I'm actually not looking for a hundred billion. I'm thinking a couple trillion, and I'm going to build chips. I'm going to build chips. And and the reason he says is because AI can only go as far as these processing of the chips. So if we got no chips, we can't progress AGI. In order to get AGI, we need the hardware to be working. Look, I mean, his surname is Altman, right? I've said this before. Alternate to man. Ultimate, like, al- like alternate worlds are being birthed right in front of us. And we are still on our phone. I mean, our phones are going to feel archaic over the next five years. Archaic. You're going to think I carried this thing around with me the whole time. And let me, t- what I, my prediction is you'll have glasses like mine, which will become the vision pros, and you'll have a watch. Mm. And that's it. Mm. Your watch will be your screen if you can't have your glasses on and your, your earphones will be your earphones if you don't have them already plugged into you somehow. And that's it. Your glasses will be telling you and your watch. That's it. You don't need anything else. Your hands will be free. They'll need to distill it down to glasses form, right? Because, and I've heard the Ray-Bans, the Meta Ray-Bans are actually really good. Yes, are very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, like when you when you see these videos of people walking around with the Apple Vision Pro in between people and doing like things in the air, it looks kind of dystopian and weird. So they'll need to get to a point where it doesn't feel like the person wearing it is actually disconnected from other people around them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's what the way it feels. Well, they've done that with the eyes, right? With the Vision Pro, you can see the person's yeah. eyes. So you can you feel that they're still engaging mm. with you. But remember, have you seen the first VR headset? Was 10 times yeah, the size of Vision Pro. Definitely. And we know this with computing, you know? It's becoming, and think, we, we're talking about nanotechnology, yeah. which is the size of an atom, really. And so if you can program nanotechnology and inject it into your body with a very clear directive that it has to go and fix something... Now apply that same level of micro technology and now put yeah. it into glasses. And now you're like, come on, over the next five years, I just, I, 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 it's, it's unfathomable what's going to happen over the next five we years. We are in it's the future. It feels like we are, oh it feels God. like we are in the future. Yeah. yeah. Wow. How exciting. We've been talking about it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's happening right in front of our eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel nervous and excited all at the same time. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, excited. I think, I think the future is, uh, it's actually, it's so overwhelming, but at the same time, it is everything that I've wanted when I was growing up, I'm starting to see come to fruition. And it's just, yeah. it's so cool to yeah. feel like we are living in a, a sci-fi era. It really is cool. Eh? It yeah. feels like everything that you, everything you saw from back to the future is kind of happening. And in fact, even yeah. better, like you couldn't even, Love yeah, you couldn't even think about it. Yeah. All right, so I also had an article um, that I went to go read for um, preparation for the pod today. But I, I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole with this one. So I want to take you through a bit of a journey with it. And to kick us off, I want us to play a game called Guess the CEO. And okay. I, I, want, to, I want to tell you a little bit about this. So um, this CEO recently celebrated his 10 years at, as CEO of this company. In the, in the 10 years that he was CEO, 
the stock price grew by a thousand percent compared to the S&P 500. Satya Nadella. You you just wait. You just wait. (laughs) The S&P 500, we saw growth of 138%. The company today is worth $3 trillion. And okay, okay, I won, I won, I won. <laughs> yes. And he led the cultural <laughs> transformation of 130,000 employees. Not only that, this was his first gig as CEO. Not only that, yes. he was entrenched in the business prior to becoming CEO for 22 years, meaning like he is as brainwashed and as uh, entrenched in the tradition of that company as can be. And he is an engineer by trade. Who is he? I've told you already, man. I knew this before you started. He's the man. He is Satya, Satya Nadella. I love him. Yeah, listen, I, I, so I was reading an, an article about him. I saw these stats and I was like, I just want to understand a bit more about what has happened here. So who yeah. is this guy? Who is Satya Nadella? Um, he took over the role of CEO when he was 46. So um, yeah. he took over from Steve Ballmer. And he wrote this like beautiful yeah. inaugural memo to everyone in, in Microsoft about him. But something that he said was, I buy more books than I finish. I enroll in more courses than I can ever complete. And so he said, family curiosity and hunger for knowledge are the things that ultimately define him. And what's mm. pretty incredible is that even though he became CEO at 46, he was with Microsoft like for 20 years prior to that. You know, he started with Microsoft in 1990. And so that's, it's pretty incredible to think like you're there for 22 years and only then do you become CEO. But he's also worked his way all the way through to the point where like his first appointment as CEO ever is to be appointed to Microsoft CEO. Like pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, what's even more incredible is that when he initially applied for the job, he almost didn't get it. And so like all the way back, like let's rewind back to 1990, um, he's interviewing for a job at Microsoft they're asking all these like technical questions. And one question that they end up asking him, which catches him a bit like off guard, is they say, imagine that you're walking down an alley at night and you see a baby on the floor. What do you do? And like he was very like, you know, surprised and taken aback by the question. But he answers, um, I call 911. And they, they kind of carry on with the conversation and he gets the job. But as they're walking out, the, the guy who was interviewing him pats him on the back and says, what you should do instead is you should pick up the baby and give the baby a hug. And it kind of points yeah. to this, this thing that at, at that stage, uh, perhaps he lacked a bit of empathy or he had like an immature level of empathy. And this becomes quite important and we'll circle back to that in a bit. But so he takes over, eventually he takes over from Steve Ballmer. And keep in mind that Microsoft only had two CEOs um, now three CEOs. They had Bill Gates, who founded the company, ran it for a long time. He handed over to Steve Ballmer. And then finally, Satya Nadella stepped in right after Steve Ballmer. And so you think these two guys, you know, surely, like this is Microsoft. They set Satya Nadella up for success. Um, he takes the company over and it's in a thriving position. But you'd be wrong if you think that. Um, at the time, so 2014-ish, when he took over Microsoft, Microsoft was kind of charting its own way to irrelevance. And there were quite a few things that happened. So the first thing is that they, they actually acquired Nokia. Remember Nokia? They acquired Nokia uh, for $7 billion. And pretty much after Nadella stepped in, he was like, we're going to kind of just scrap this. Um, it didn't really work out the way they wanted it to. 
But more than that, Microsoft missed the boat on social. They missed the boat on mobile. They missed the boat on search. You know, they were nowhere. Like Google was killing them in terms of Bing. Um, they had no social media presence. And also like the Windows phone, you remember Windows phone was a thing? They had 4% market share. So that is essentially what he steps into. He steps into this company that's actually, in most analysts' eyes, kind of veering towards irrelevance. Like, how do you turn this around? And so in his inaugural memo that he sends out, he says this. He says, our industry does not respect tradition. It only respects innovation. And what happens is that he actually goes to, like, to war with tradition. Like when you look at what he's done over the past 10 years, he's dismantled tradition inside of Microsoft. So under Ballmer, Steve Ballmer, there were sort of two things that were happening. Um, well, it's actually kind of, it's, it's one thing, but it, it happened internally and externally, which is that they had this attitude internally, which was it's us versus them. It's like, it's Microsoft versus Apple. It's, it's us versus the world. Uh, there was this like, air of superiority and arrogance, but it was also like a very cutthroat environment where it was all about how do you perform? And my understanding of it at least was that it was so intense that you would have to rate everyone in your team and you would have to give them a score of one to five where four and five is like the worst, but you were kind of mandated that some people on the team had to get fours and fives. It was like a quota system almost for like giving fours and fives out. And the moment you got that on your name, it became very hard to switch teams or to make any sort of like upwards moves in, in Microsoft. And so later on, Satya even said that Microsoft is known for rallying the troops with competitive fire. And he, like he wasn't, he wasn't like that. And so, of course, what this also meant is that this sort of air of superiority and this aggressiveness meant that they were very defensive. Like they, they never collaborated with external companies like they just tried to protect everything that Microsoft was and what they had built. And so Satya Nadella steps in and he has to dismantle all of this. And I think like I, I've I read a, a few different articles and like looked at his book and I think there's, there's three things that he ends up doing very well that leads to this complete rejuvenation and transformation of Microsoft. The first thing is he realigns the purpose of what they're doing. I don't know if you remember this, but when Bill Gates stepped in, like his big purpose for Microsoft was that we wanted to put a, a PC on every desk. On everybody, yes. Yeah. Right. And if you think about it, you know, <clears throat> I, I mean, cast your like mind back to all the way back then, what a like audacious goal that must have been. And mm. to think that today that has actually come to fruition is pretty mind-blowing. So they, they, their vision was a PC on every desk. And... Like Satya looks around and he goes, well, we've kind of accomplished that in, in tandem with other companies that have done similar things. So what do we change it to? And his big mission that he kind of then instills in Microsoft is that it's about empowering every person and every business on the planet to achieve more. But when you dig a bit deeper under this do more, it's not actually just about productivity. It's actually something that becomes fueled by empathy. And you'll remember that we had this moment initially when Satya displayed like a bit of a lack of empathy, but something has changed. And now he's really driving empathy into the business because he wants to empower people. So where does this come from? 
he had a child and the, the kid's name was Zane and the kid was born with cerebral palsy and unfortunately passed away in 2022. But having this, this child with disabilities was very tough for him. And I want to read this like one thing to you. He said, um, for the first, I would say even multiple years, I was more in grief about what happened to my plans. Watching my wife, Anu, and what she was doing, she gave up her job as an architect and would walk, drive him up and down Seattle to every therapy possible. I watched that and came to reflect on it and then realized that nothing happened to me. Something had happened to my son and I started seeing the world through his eyes. And so I think he has this moment where through his son and the lessons from his son, he develops deep empathy. And what, what culminates and comes out of that is he says, empathy is the hardest skill that we have to learn because it helps us to relate to the world and to relate to the people that matter most to us. And it also means how do we relate to the people inside the organization and how do we relate to our, our customers? And ultimately what that, what that feeds into is how do we empower people through the work that we do? And there was even this thing about how Microsoft had empowered his son um, through technology as well. So I think that's the first thing is that like we see that Microsoft flourishes because and, and transforms because Satya had his own internal transformation. And we know that transformation has to be internal and then it spreads like it, it starts inwards and then spreads outwards. The second thing that he does and I think it, it, these all just flow from the empathy and from the transformation, is that he drives collaboration. Like he, he moves away from this defensive posture and he adapts a more open posture. One of the first things that happen is that, you know, all the ecosystems, Apple, Google, Microsoft, they're all kind of fenced off. But today, if you go onto your, your iPhone, you can find Office, you can access Word and Excel, all those apps on Apple. Why? Because he was like, I want to empower people. And so that means we can't just keep it locked off. And so he made uh, Word and Office and all these things available to a much larger audience. But they also started investing in other companies, companies that were tied to the Microsoft vision. And so GitHub, Minecraft, and of course, LinkedIn. And so all of a sudden, they start catching up with many of the trends they were kind of missing out on. And you remember LinkedIn was kind of uncool for a very long time. It was like the most boring platform to be on. And then over the past yeah. few years, there's just been this switch where now it's like the cool place to be. Mm. Uh, even mm. though like they, these days I'm kind of over it again, but, but, but they drove a, a massive transformation in terms of LinkedIn. But then the final thing, the third one, is that it changes Microsoft's culture from a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture. And this is hugely inspired for him by Carol Dweck's work around, you know, mindset, the, the growth mindset. But what I, what I realized that it, it's, it's, not, it's not just about believing in your ability to learn and in believing in your ability to grow, but it's also about believing in your ability to grow past the past. That's, that's something that I actually picked up. It's like, it's not just about let's learn from failure and let's learn from each other. Those things are important. But let's also let go of our ideas and perspectives of what we should be doing so we can look at what we might be doing. And in another memo that he, that he sent a bit later on, he said, 
Nothing is off the table. And like, I mean, just listen, like if you think of someone who, who drives change into an organization, listen to this. Nothing is off the table in how we think about shifting our culture to deliver on this core strategy. Organizations will change. Mergers and acquisitions will occur. Job responsibilities will evolve. New partnerships will be formed. Tired traditions will be questioned. Our priorities will be adjusted. New skills will be built. New ideas will be heard. Newer hires will be made. Processes will be simplified. And if you want to thrive at Microsoft and make a world impact, you and your team must add numerous more changes to this list that you will be enthusiastic about driving. So he's saying like, it's not just about the changes that we want you to make. You need to go out and you need to find the changes that you are going to drive as well. Like change is just part of the DNA. It's not even something that we think about. Like this is something that you are rewarded for, that we want you to be part of this. And so when I look at all of this, what I actually, the, the feeling I get is the mindset he instilled in people was the mindset of what could we accomplish? What could we build? What is possible? And how do we empower people? And when you have that list and you are driven by that curiosity, the output has to be positive change transformation. And so how do we close out a story like this? How do we close out a story that about this guy that starts off as an as a employee, builds himself up over 20 years to become CEO, first-time CEO, hits it out of the park. Like he made mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong on that. But of course, the results speak for itself. He's done phenomenal work over the past 10 years. How do we close that out? And I think the best way is in his own words. So he said, in another memo, he's written a few. A few months ago on a call with investors, I quoted Nietzsche and said that we must have courage in the face of reality. Even more important, we must have courage in the face of opportunity. We must have the courage to transform as individuals. And we must ask ourselves, what idea can I bring to life? What insight can I illuminate? What individual life could I change? What customer can I delight? What new skill could I learn and what orthodoxy should I question? With the courage to transform individually, we will collectively transform this company and seize the great opportunity ahead. And I think that's true for all of us. And that is my story. Sure. You know, uh, what a great story. I, I so love him. You know, I, you can see what a kind of guy he is, the way he dealt with the Sam Altman breakup with his old company and the way he just speaks, he's very calm in his approach, which is always something I've been so attracted to. A couple of things I want to add to mm. that is I was listening to Scott Galloway and he was saying the investment in open AI has been maybe the most successful investment in a startup ever. Wow. And so he's, already, he's done that. So it's the most successful Two, something that you speak about is he moved from a transactional management style to a transformational one. And it's not so much about numbers, but about change. Whereas Steve Ballmer was, a, was, was only there as a cheerleader for more money and so was stuck without that sort of change. There was a line a little while back in social media was talking about tradition, respecting dead people's ways of thinking. What was that? There was like a meme that was going around for a while. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like trying to keep yeah. dead people's mm. ideas alive and then we call it tradition, you know? It's ridiculous, yeah. actually. And then one thing that really just hit me here is in order to have an incredible deep level of empathy 
for people around you and for the world around you, you really have to do a lot of internal work. You really have to heal your past so that you're not triggered into thinking you're being attacked because that's what a trigger does. It makes me think you're attacking me when you really might not be. And this happens to all of us. But that's because I've got a story about my past that I'm not sharing with you. But if I can heal my past, I'm all the energy I have is towards being empathetic towards you, not being triggered into my own past. And so him talking about getting rid of tradition and only thinking about the future is also very much intertwined in his empathetic uh, approach to the world ahead of him, you know. And, and something to acknowledge, you know, is and we, we often see this, is that when a company has to transform, you kind of bring someone out from the inside. Yeah, from the outside, you you yeah. bring someone in from yeah, the outside yeah. because they have a different perspective. Yeah. But here's a guy that's been in the same company for 20 years. Like if there's anyone who's been brainwashed by the way things have been done and who has reason to keep things going the way they've always been done, it's him. Wow. But yet he's able to, to break with that tradition. I, I can imagine it must have been really hard and on top of that, you also have the responsibility of 130,000 people that are working there that if you screw this up, you affect all of their livelihoods. And so it was this, I guess it was a big risk, but I mean, is it ever a risk if you are prioritizing people more and being more empathetic and being more focused on learning and curiosity? Like you can only go right when those become your priorities. Uh, I read somewhere yesterday, it said that my favorite love language is curiosity. And I thought, wow, what an interesting way to think about a love language. It's like it really does show a lot about your personalities. Are you curious? Yeah, I'm curious about the world. Well, then it never ends, right? Curiosity is something that just keeps going and going and going and never flipping ends. So oh, I love that, man. I, I, I'm, he reminds me a lot of Obama. He's got the same sort of energetic energy of like soft power, like not like aggressive power in many ways. And I've actually invested in Microsoft shares, you know, I'm, I, and I don't even think I've invested in Microsoft mm. shares. I've invested in him. It's like, I love him. I love what he's doing. Yeah. I love how he's doing it. I don't think there's a stop to this Microsoft. I think it's going to become a machine. And it's funny, you know, and obviously I'm an Apple guy and we know this. We've had a lot of chats about this offline, but I'm a much bigger Satya Nadella fan than I am a Tim Cook fan. I'm a much bigger mm. Apple, uh, Microsoft culture than I am an Apple culture. I think Apple's arrogant and, and not always mm. looking after their customers' best interest. You know, when it comes to privacy and those things, yes. But when it comes to money, no, they're like machines trying to rip you off every left, right, and center. So I'm just like so attracted to that level of consciousness and that level of awareness that he has. But ultimately, it's that internal work that allows you to prioritize people over profits, which ultimately gets you to 10 times your company to a $3 trillion company mm -hmm. by just prioritizing the right things. And if I go back to my own story about Dr. Joe, it's like I wasn't chasing it anymore. I just systemized me getting better at what I do to be seen by somebody as NASA, to be asked to open up a conference and for him to also be approached. We just did the work. That's all we did is just the work. And that's what he's doing. He's just doing the work. What an absolute... Love it. Yeah, He's like a business angel, that guy. Um, to, to maybe share one last story is, you know, or just to contrast him and Steve Ballmer. You know, when you think of the Steve Ballmer era, like you see all those parties that yeah. they threw and like, you know, like that, um, that funny clip that always circulates of them like 
it's like Steve Ballmer and on Bill stage. Gates and like they're dancing yeah. on stage yeah. and they're like chanting windows, windows, windows. And like, it's like this whole like, like hyped up culture type thing. And you can see it's almost like a sales environment where it's like cutthroat. You can actually, you can kind of sense that from, from the engagement. And when Satya Nadella becomes CEO, they're like, well, how are we going to do this? And they, the, the, the biggest thing they're thinking about is the venue. And they end up finding this place and like, you know, there's a stage and he says he doesn't want to be on stage. He doesn't want to look down on people. He wants to narrow the distance between him and people. And so they end up doing this very small thing where they're announcing the CEO. It's him, the two previous CEOs, some media and some ex win or some, some Windows employees. Very small, understated. And I think that like that story perfectly encapsulates the kind of leaders that they are as well. Um, yeah, thank you. That was a fun episode. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, week's pod. Um, we uh, spoke about 6D storytelling and heart-led leadership. And I love that combination because we are very much in the future. But are we way, way, way connected to our humanness more than ever? More, more attracted to that humanness than ever with 6D storytelling right here. Shows us that I think the future is going to be more human than ever before, when we get all the drudgery of what we thought was purpose, which really hit a procurement in your life is not the pure purpose, and neither is any other job out there, to be honest. Um, and so when we start to get all this drudgery out of the way and all this rudimentary work out the way, we will then only then have the time, the luxurious time to be able to access purpose and humanness more than ever before. I, can't, I couldn't be more excited. Thank you so much for that story, Eric. And for everybody else listening out there, uh, thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you think this could be beneficial to somebody that you know, please do share it with them. And if you feel like leaving us a review, we're always welcome for five-star reviews. Sorry, I meant five-star reviews. Um, And until next week, stay expansive. Ciao.